First John says, see how great a love the Father has bestowed upon us. We are called children of God. And all the prerogatives of being sons and daughters of God come with our adoption into his family by grace. Let the children be dismissed for junior church. I'd like you to turn in your Bibles this morning to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6. Gospel of Matthew and chapter 6. Let's begin reading in verse 25. Jesus says to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, and to, to set context for that, just look back. just have to turn here. Look back to verse 19. Okay, therefore I tell you, he says in verse 25, do not worry. Okay, why? Well, go back to verse 19. He says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on heaven. But, verse 20, store up for yourselves treasures. Don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Verse 21, for where your treasure is, your heart will be. Drop down to verse 24, no one can serve two masters. Okay, no one can pursue opposite directions with equal fervency without rending themselves and bringing destruction into their lives. It's for that reason then that when he goes into verse 25, he says, therefore, in light of this fact that you can't, simultaneously pursue two primary loves or objectives. Okay, you can't, it's impossible to do that. He's not saying don't do it, he's saying it is impossible to seek to move in two separate directions at the same time. It will cause pain in your life. And so in verse 25, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life. And here's the fascinating thing. The word worry here means to be torn in two different directions. Okay, to be caught between two different things, wondering which way should I go. That is the anxiety that Jesus is addressing in the text. Don't worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor and spin. They're not twisted and torn up. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God, your Father, clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? Pagans run after these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day 
has enough trouble of its own. Topic of my discussion is this. Why is worry forbidden for sons and daughters of God? Why is worry forbidden? Why is it prohibited in the imperative and in the present tense for sons and daughters of God? I think we can make this observation as we enter into a discussion about worry. One writer says that for America, worry is a pastime. Okay? And I can ask you this question. Is there a reason for worry in the world that you and I live in today? I think the answer would be very, very clear for a number of reasons. Facing a difficult economy, situations like Japan, rogue nuclear nations, Libya, Egypt, Israel, North Korea, Yemen, and we could go on and on, threats of terrorism, fears about terrorism, job layoffs, instability in the Middle East. These situations make for times that we would say are at least uncertain or unstable. If you've driven up to a gas station recently, you've probably experienced a degree of worry. How am I going to afford to pay for gas if it goes over $4 a gallon? How's that going to affect my life? One friend said to me, I have to redo my budget if the gas prices keep going up. My wife at the grocery store can testify that the prices of our daily essentials are going up. And we begin to worry and think about how's all this going to work together? Concerns for family, for our jobs, for our children physically and morally. You can go to the Internet and have instant access to numerous causes of worry. As one advertiser might say, there's an app for that, too. You can find all kinds of reasons to be concerned, to be torn in two different directions. The tearing is this. It's between knowing that I have a Father in Heaven and knowing that I have these needs to face. And sometimes we turn our back towards God in these situations and become preoccupied with our fears and anxieties. And we are being, while attracted to God and His love as we've sung this morning, we are also being attracted to be concerned about pressing needs and pressing issues in our lives and in our world. And so it does not surprise me that Jesus would take time in the Word of God to confront the issue of worry in the imperative and say, stop it. The idea in the context is this. It's something that's already happening, and He gives them a call to cease being torn in various directions. So in the midst of our stresses and stressors, Jesus has a word for us. Do not worry. It is used six times in this text. Three times worry is prohibited for children of God. Okay, and as you've sung through the songs that we looked at this morning, I hope in your heart you reflect back how wonderful the Father's love. It is well. The new song that we sung that I can't remember the name of and that I was worrying about not remembering it, and I didn't. And then, oh, how, yeah, what is it called? Our God, okay. And then, oh, how he loves us. I mean, do you just stop and think? And in a sense, that's the direction of this passage where Jesus is going. You have a father. If you have trusted in the shed blood of Christ and been forgiven, you have been adopted into the family of God, and you have someone to whom you can say, Abba, Father. And that is a transforming truth. I, this morning, watching Tina and Barbara share their testimonies. Uh, and, and Barbara, remembering you're coming to Christ and seeing where you are today. 
is evidence of the Father's transforming love. And as we look at that, we say, why? What are we worried about? Okay, why do we tend to worry? I look at Tina and see what God has done in Tina's life. I mean, Tina standing in front of people talking. Right, Tina? I don't know where Tina is. She's probably mad at me right now. Um, I would have never thought that. Ever. But it's the grace of God and the love of God as our Father poured out upon us. So in this text, we find that worry is forbidden. Because it pulls us apart. And what is Jesus saying? Don't let worry become a habit. If it is a habit in your life, this text calls you to crush it. Break it. Okay, and I'm going to tell you something right now. This is a weed that grows in the garden of my spiritual life. This is something that needs to be dealt with in categoric ways. It needs to be ripped out. Jesus is saying, don't tolerate this weed in the garden of your heart. It does not, however, in this context, forbid wise planning and appropriate concern. Jesus wants us to be wise planners. He wants us to work hard, plan for the future, be ambitious in terms of work, education, marital relations, it's our parenting responsibilities. He wants us to be people that plan, but he doesn't want us to be people that worry. He wants us to be people that have appropriate concerns. For instance, okay, it would be wise for us to have appropriate concern about our diet. Okay, why? Because if I put unhealthy things into my body, I don't have to worry about doing damage to my body. I can know I'm doing damage to my body. So we should be concerned about some things. There are things that we should expend effort on in order to work them out in an appropriate way in our relationship with God. <clears throat> so concern is when I can do something to help in a situation. It's appropriate to be concerned about things that you can move into and actually make a difference. Worry is different. Worry is when you can't do something and you don't leave it up to God. Worry is concern run out of control. One writer said worry is concern that has gone haywire. It is dominating your heart and your mind. And I think what this text is saying is this. Very simply, and I speak to myself, worry is sin. Worry is sin. A worrying Christian is a sinning Christian. Why? I'm going to answer this question for you in a few phases. Ultimately, because worry casts doubt upon the goodness of God. Worry denies every truth that we have already proclaimed this morning in song. Worry denies the effect of the precious shed blood of Jesus Christ. Don't worry. And if you are, Jesus is saying to you this morning, stop it. And then he's going to give you reasons for why you ought to consider obedience to this command. Stop being anxious about life. He starts in verse 25 then into his reasons for why we should stop worrying and why it is sin. He says, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. And then a little bit later, he's going to say, and don't worry about your body. Don't worry about your life. Don't worry about your body. Your body is the physical entity that you live in. What is God saying? I've got that covered. I'm going to tell you this. When I went to bed last night, I didn't worry about whether or not I would wake up. Okay? But I can tell you that I am prone to worry about other kinds of issues that relate to my physical body. Jesus says, don't worry about your body. He 
who is able to keep you alive and to wake up your body in the morning can give you food and clothes for the day. That is, if he sustains you, then certainly he can provide for you. If he keeps you alive, then he can take care of your needs. And so he says, don't worry about your life. What are you going to eat and what you're going to drink? Don't worry about your body. What are you going to wear? Life is more than food and the body is more than clothes. We tend to get focused on the smaller issues. And they tend to create stress and anxiety in our lives. Verse 26, Jesus then moves into his first thought in light of this. He says, look at the birds of the air. And you kind of get this kind of picture. A flock of birds goes by and he says, look at them. Look at them. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns. And yet your heavenly father feeds them. What is Jesus saying here? I think the first thing he's saying is this, is worry is absolutely unnecessary. Worry is unnecessary. What's true about birds? What's true about birds is this. They're very beautiful, and they make no provision for the future, and yet are kept alive. They make no provision for the future. And yet they are kept alive. They don't expect expend any energy on tomorrow. And they live with such a carefree and careless spirit under the care of God. Who provides for them? God says, I do. They don't have to stow away in barns because in the context of the world that they live in, in the context where they are called to experience their existence, they experience the provision of God. They take no thought for tomorrow. They don't plan and they wing it. Okay, they just they there's no thought about tomorrow and about the meeting of their needs. They just never worry. Because your heavenly father feeds them. Then Jesus asked this question. He says, aren't you more valuable than them? And the text moves from a lesser, the birds to humanity, the greater. Okay, which is to say what? God cares more about you created in his image to relate to him than he does about the animal kingdom. Okay, you are in a favored position before God. Okay, so as you look at the created realm, understand, God does not approve of the abuse of beasts. He tells us to take care of them. And he, he, he in a sense, condemns in the book of Proverbs those that are abusive towards beasts. And yet, He says to us, if I care for the birds of the air in that way, if they never go hungry, then how much more will I care for you? The argument is this. Worry is unnecessary because God has pledged himself and promised to meet your physical needs. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, Paul writing to the church in Ephesus says this. He says, if you have food, shelter, and clothing, what should you be? With those things, you should be content. You should be at rest. You should be at peace with God. He's taking care of you and doing everything that he has gloriously promised to do. Verse 27. Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? Can you lengthen your life by deciding to lengthen it? By being concerned about whether or not I'm going to make it through to tomorrow. Do I lengthen my life? Most 
Medical doctors will tell you that if you are stressing over things, if you are experiencing hypertension in your life, because you're worried about tomorrow and you're worried about your health and you're worried about all kinds of things, you are likely not lengthening your life. You're shortening your life. On the other hand, if I am concerned about my physical well-being and I exercise and eat appropriately and do those sorts of things, what am I likely to do? I'm likely, from a physical perspective, to be lengthening my life and increasing the quality of it. Worry destroys and brings brokenness to the quality of your life. And Jesus says, worry is unproductive. That's why you should stop doing it. It is a senseless and futile waste of your time. One writer compares it to a rocking chair. Okay? You could sit in a rocking chair and you can get a lot going on in a rocking chair. But here's the truth. You're not going anywhere. You're expending all kinds of effort, but nothing is changing. Okay, you're not, you're not going anywhere. Worry is like that. It is profoundly unproductive. Worry doesn't help your body. Worry doesn't pay your taxes. It has never filled your stomach. It has never fixed your car. It has never helped the Dow Jones, Dow Jones Industrial Average to go up. It has never caused that young man at school to look at you and love you. It has never produced an A on a test. It won't secure your job. In fact... It may cost you your job. If you let your heart get torn apart thinking that God isn't over everything and in control in your life, you are wasting your time. Jesus says, don't worry so much that you lose sleep. Okay, and here's a question for you this morning. Do you worry about things so much that you lose sleep over it. Okay? I'm going to tell you, I've had times where I wake up and my mind starts racing on things. I was talking with a friend last night, went out to uh, grab a snack with him. And he was telling me how this will hit him sometimes 3 o'clock in the morning. I don't know if you've ever had this happen. You wake up and everything is like right there. And all of it is, is, is kind of bombarding you. What do you do then? You know what 1 Peter 5 says? It says, cast your cares upon him. He cares for you. One writer observed that verse and said this, give your concerns to God when you go to bed because he's going to be up all night anyway. Okay, so give it to him. You know, we're laying awake. We're, what have I accomplished in those moments? I have accomplished nothing but made myself tired for the next day. Worry will, it, it's futile. It's, it doesn't make sense. And yet it is so compelling, isn't it? It's so easy for us to drift off into that. Worry will not change the result, but worry will change you. It will steal your peace of mind. And so Psalm 139, David in verse 23 says this. He says, God, search me and try me and know my, you know what it says next? Know my anxious thoughts. What is David confessing? David is confessing, God, I tend not to trust you as I should. So God, search me. Test out my heart. Know, reveal my anxious thoughts so that I can put them to death. So that I can roll them over to your incredible love and care. Verse 28. So worry doesn't change anything. Verse 29 or 27. Verse 28, he says, and why do you worry about clothes? Now, as a father of three daughters, I have a unique interpretation of this text that I'm not going to drift into. 
Okay, I have a feeling that ladies' daughters, I'll say it this way, daughters may worry about clothing too much, and some of us men don't worry about how we look enough. Okay, that's my theory on that. Why do you worry about clothes? Now listen, what did Jesus promise to his disciples? He promised that he would give them food, shelter, and clothing. So in light of that promise, what does he say? Why are you worried about clothes? And what is the essence of clothing here? In our culture, we tend to think of clothing in terms of fashion. In terms of how we appear. In the ancient world, that's not the way it was. Clothing was essential to survival. It was the mean by, means by which you kept warm. So strong was the issue of clothing. In the Old Testament, in the book of Deuteronomy, in the laws of God, he says, if you borrow a man's cloak from him, you must return it to him by evening. Why? It is essential to his life. So when he talks about clothing here, he's not talking about being at Kohl's looking at the 80% discount rack. Okay, it's not what he's talking about. He's talking about that one cloak that you have that is essential to your survival. Okay, so Jesus says, don't worry about that. And it's not looking at all the stuff in my closet wondering, what am I going to wear today? It's that one thing that preserves your life. That's the idea here. Jesus says, why do you worry about clothes? And then in reference to that, He points to the flowers of the field. He says, see how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor. They don't work at their appearance. None of you have ever seen a flower getting ready to go out for the day. Right? You've never seen a flower jogging. Okay? Never seen a flower adding more cut. You've never seen that happen. And what I find fascinating in this text is, that Jesus is drawing their attention to the flowers of the field, not to domesticated flowers that are cared for by individuals, fed and given everything that they need by an individual. No, these are the flowers out in the wild. Here's what blows my mind, most of which will never be seen by the human eye. And yet God beautifully and ornately colors them and grows them. I remember being in Columbia back in 2006 and seeing across this pond that was full of lily pads with all these lilies that bloomed only at night. They were nocturnal flowers. And on the far side of the lake was this enormous flower growing out of a tree, a parasite, but this flower was about the size of a trash can lid. Okay? Unseen by humanity, taken care of by God. And the text argues this. It argues... Study the flowers. And the idea here is to not simply to glance at, but to put your eyes down upon, to study as if academically. Okay, look at the flower to comprehend all of its impressive and incredible structure and beauty. Study them. Uncultivated vegetation under only God's care. And then I love what God says here. He says, yet I tell you that even Solomon in all of his splendor in all of his and he who is Solomon okay Solomon is the wealthiest and wisest king of Old Testament Israel he was the cream of the crop and Jesus says this Solomon with all of his wisdom and wealth and majesty when he put on his robes he was stunning it was glorious but in no way did his clothing compare to the flowers of the field. And then Jesus says, now listen, disciples, if God so 
clothes the flowers of the field, the grass of the field, if he puts into it all these beautiful things, and that grass is here today, cut down and thrown into the furnace tomorrow to provide heat. It has transient and temporal value, and yet he pours all of that effort into something that is here and then gone. Okay, don't you hate that about daffodils? Okay, I plant, I plant these bulbs and I'm thinking, they, oh, they look so beautiful. And then you come over the next day and you're like, what happened to my daffodils? Okay, the, the beauty and it, love them. But I hate them. Okay? It's like, you're there, you look so good, and then you do that. Okay, it's just like, and what is Jesus? If God gives that kind of attention to flowers, won't he, argument from lesser to greater, won't he much more? care for you what's the thrust of this set of verses what's the thrust well in the end jesus nails it down doesn't he he says will he not much more clothe you oh you of little faith (laughs) and the idea of being small in faith is not the absence of faith these men are with christ because they believe but is their faith appropriate to the person that they're tying it to? The answer is no. They have faith, but what kind of faith is it? It's inadequate and insufficient faith because it is not transforming their daily life. So when I worry, what does Jesus say? He says, go out and look at the birds. Your father feeds them. Go out and look at the flowers. Your father clothes them in a way that is more glorious than any human being has ever been clothed with more stunning and brilliant colors. And they're temporary. What is worry then that Jesus is rebuking here? He's saying worry is wrong because it declares God to be unworthy of trust. It accuses God of being unfaithful. In the Psalms, here's what the psalmist says. He says, your faithfulness reaches to the skies. When Jesus comes in Revelation chapter 19, on his thigh, what's written? His attributes. He is faithful and true. He will fulfill his promises. And he is capable of fulfilling his promises. Worry, cast doubt, on the goodness of God, it stems from a lack of genuine belief in the goodness and provision of God. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says this. Once my eyes clear up and focus. No temptation, no trouble has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. So we get hit with circumstances. You know what our our initial flesh response is? Worry about it. Doubt the goodness of God. Doubt His faithfulness. Doubt His provision. You know what Paul's saying to the church? You're going to face circumstances and trials that test you. That push you. But God is faithful. He will provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. That's the idea. You don't have to falter and fall down and collapse under a tidal wave of anxiety. He says, no, if you trust God, if you look to him and believe, because Hebrews 11.4 says what? Without faith, 
It is impossible to please God. So, folks, what is worry? Worry doubts the faithfulness of God. It doubts his commitment to your protection. It doubts his commitment to meet your needs. That's why it's sin. Worry is sin because it redefines who God is. It redefines who your father is. It says that you were adopted, but likely to be abandoned. Jesus' promise is this. I will not leave you as orphans. In what setting? In the setting when he is about to face the greatest fear in life. Death. And his promises to the disciples. I'm going there, but I am coming back. And when I come back, my aim, my aim is to kill doubt in your life about the goodness of God and about the power of God and about the love of God in your life. Jesus tells us worry is sin because it declares God to be unworthy of our trust. But his faithfulness reaches to the skies. He is faithful and true. 31 to 34 real quickly. So do not worry. There's the third imperative. Do not worry saying, what are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? What are we going to wear? And then this is stunning. Godless people, pagans, run after all these things. Your heavenly father knows that you need them. Which sounds a lot like what? Go back earlier. I think it was in verse 8 of this same chapter where we saw that. When you get ready to pray, you're not informing God. You're relating to him. You're trusting him. You're not letting him know about things he's unaware of. You're enjoying a relationship with your father who is committed to wonderfully and powerfully meeting your needs. Pagans run after these things. Your father knows you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things that you're worried about will be given to you as well. What is worry then? This last description. Worry is a demonstration of faith. Lessness. It is to be without the character or attribute, characteristic or attribute that attracts the power of God into your life and the blessing of God in your life. Folks, understand this. The worst insult that a child can give to their father is to say, you don't love me. It's the worst insult that a child can give to their dad. You don't love me. And what Jesus is saying here is this. Stop worrying because worry makes you act like a pagan who doesn't have a heavenly father. And he's saying to us, stop it. Kill that habit in your life. Pagans are dominated by unpredictable, despotic, heavy-handed gods who needed to be appeased. Your father in heaven is not like that. He took on flesh. And came and lived a perfect life. And in his physical human body. Died on the cross by choice. To pay the price for your sin. He loves you. He did not remain distant. He came near to demonstrate his love to you. And what he wants you to express towards him. Is undying faith. If you've never trusted Christ. His message to you this morning. Would be something like this. Abandon paganism. Life without God. Come by faith, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. Trust Him, express faith in Him, and He will forgive you of your sins and bring you into a permanent relationship with someone that you can cry out to, Abba, Father.
whose faithfulness reaches to the skies. How do we overcome worry? I think just these thoughts. Give every concern that you have to him daily. Daily. Because he's going to be up all night anyway. So give it to him. Secondly, give your obedience and allegiance to him. This is Jesus. He he says, stop doing this and do this. Stop worrying. And then what? Verse 33. Seek first the kingdom of God. Get your life going in one direction. And that is in the direction of the will of God for the glory of God in your life. And when you do that, what will happen? He says, seek first the kingdom of God, his sovereign rule in every area of your life. And then what's going to happen? Then all these things that what the pagans are seeking and worried about. All these things, your needs will be met. Folks, here's what happens. Worry causes us to not even see the present blessings of God in our life, right? We can have so many things going well in our lives. And then one thing goes awry. And what do we do? We tend to myopic focus on that issue alone. And in it, we doubt the goodness of God. We doubt his faithfulness. We live in unfaith, or we live in faithlessness. You know what he says? He says, seek first my kingdom and, 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 and my righteousness. So, Look, and I th- when I thought of this this morning, I thought of young people. I thought of young people. I thought of teenagers. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness in every area of your life. And you struggle with doing that. Why? Because you don't want to miss out. You don't want to miss out on certain pleasures, certain desires. You know what God says to you? Seek first my kingdom and my righteousness and then everything that you're looking for will come your way. In God's perfect timing. But we doubt him. And instead of choosing to seek the kingdom of God and his glory in our lives, we drift off into worry. And worry undermines your trust in God. And when your trust in the goodness of God has been undermined, you are an easy target for the evil one to draw you into lesser pleasures that are sinful and destructive. See, if I'm not seeking first the kingdom of God, what am I doing? I'm seeking my own life, my own benefits, my own joys. And I am not trusting God. He ends in verse 34 by saying, refuse to attempt to control tomorrow. That's how you kill worry. He says, therefore, stop worrying about tomorrow. By what? By seeking the kingdom of God. Tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. What is Jesus saying? You will not sink under today's troubles, but tomorrow's troubles added to today's troubles will sink you. It will put you in the category of overload. That's why worry is so devastating and destructive. It borrows from tomorrow's problems, brings them into the realm of today's problems. And what does Jesus say? He says, every day has enough evil of its own. Every day has enough evil of its own in a fallen world. And what is he saying? He's saying, you have to trust me with tomorrow. You focus on today. You trust me today, and I'll take care of tomorrow. And when it comes, I'll shoulder up with you, and we'll do it again together. You know what he doesn't want us to do? He doesn't want us to think about things that we can't control. He doesn't want concern to go haywire and destroy our glorious view of God himself. 
when we seek first the kingdom of God, worry about tomorrow, we'll die on the mountain of God's love and promise. His promise is, seek first me. Come hard after me. And all these things that you're looking for, they'll be taken care of without you worrying about a thing, just like the birds, just like the flowers. He, your Father in heaven, will take care of you. 1 John 4, 4 says, you belong to God, little children, and have overcome them today and tomorrow, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Trust your Father. Dad, remember. Mom, remember when you said to your child, jump off of that wall and I'll catch you. And your child, because you are their mom or dad, leaps into your arms with no fear. May we leap into the arms of God who says to us, trust me. Trust me. I am your father. I will protect you. I will meet your needs. I'll provide for you. I'll be there. I promise. I promise. And if you've never trusted Christ, as we prepare to go into our communion service this morning, you've never trusted in the shed blood of Christ, this morning I would give you this challenge. Call in faith on the name of the Lord and you will be saved. Confess your sin to him and he will quickly and freely forgive you simply in response to the faith of a sinner that needs to be forgiven. Call upon him and he will answer you this morning. Because whoever calls upon him will be saved. Father, help us this morning as we come to your table.